Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Fact. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada this morning. Each and every week, uh, a guest and I will unpack the meaning of the weekly Torah portion known in Hebrew as Parashah that is offered in synagogues or study halls throughout the Jewish world. The Torah portion is read in synagogues on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday morning, uh, and is studied throughout the week. This week, the Torah portion is entitled Vayera. It begins in Genesis 18 and continues through Genesis 22, and it uh, includes some of the most well-known and some of the least known stories regarding our ancestor, the founder of the Jewish people, Avram, or later known as Avraham. Let me offer a uh, brief synopsis of the Torah portion before I turn to my guest, Rabbi Mendel Bloom, the executive director and rabbi of the Ottawa Torah Center. In this week's Torah portion, God reveals himself to Abraham three days after Abraham's circumcision at the age of 99. But Abraham rushes off to prepare a meal for three guests who appear in the desert heat. One of the three, who are angels disguised as men, announces that in exactly one year, the barren Sarah will give birth to a son. The Torah portion tells us that Sarah laughs at this news. Abraham pleads with God to spare the wicked city of Sodom. Two of the three disguised angels arrived in the city, where Abraham's nephew Lot extends his hospitality to them and protects them from the evil intention of the Sodomite mob. The two guests reveal that they have come to overturn, to destroy the place, and to save Lot's family. We know then from the story that wife disregards the instruction not to look back and does so and turns into a pillar of salt. While taking shelter in a cave, Lot's two daughters, believing that they and their father are the only ones left alive in the world, get their father drunk, and have relations with him becoming pregnant. The two sons born from this incident father the biblical nations of Moab and Abnon. The Torah portion then returns to Avraham and moves to Gerar, where the Philistine king Abimelech takes Sarah, who is presented as Abraham's sister, to his palace this being the second time in the book of Genesis that Abraham and Sarah collude to protect Sarah. In a dream, God warns Abimelech that he will die unless he returns the woman to her husband. Abraham explains that he feared that he would be killed over the beautiful Sarah. God remembers his promise to Sarah and gives her Ab and Abraham a son who is named Yitzhak, Isaac, meaning, I will laugh, or we will laugh, or there will be laughter, 
confirming her response to the earlier prophecy. Isaac is circumcised at the age of eight days. Abraham is now 100 years old and Sarah 90. Hagar and Ishmael, Hagar being the maidservant of Sarah, who had offered a child through Abraham known as Ishmael, are banished from Abraham's home and wander in the desert. God hears the cry of the dying lad and saves his life by showing his mother a well. Abimelech makes a treaty with Abraham at Beersheba, where Abraham gives him seven sheep as a sign of their truth. And then the story ends with the well-known story of the Akedat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, where God tests Abraham's devotion by commanding him to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. Isaac is bound and placed on the altar. Abraham raises the knife to slaughter his son. A voice from heaven calls out to stop him. A ram caught in the undergrowth by its horns is offered in Isaac's place. And for all intents and purposes, the story of Abraham somewhat comes to an end here. Rabbi Bloom, with all of these numerous stories and with all of this intentionality about teaching us something about Abraham, where would you like to begin our discussion? Well, we would like to begin from the beginning, the beginning of the Parsha, which is a uh, strange story if you think about it. Here is Abraham who's visited by God himself, and as uh, you mentioned earlier, it was right after his circumcision. And in a certain sense, God is visiting the sick. And uh, while God is visiting with him, Abraham takes off and tells God, one second, got to take care of these three uh, passers-bys, which he didn't know that they were angels. He thought they were just uh, three guys who were uh, lost in the desert and just needed uh, some food and shelter. And he tells God, um, I'll be right back. I'm going to take care of these, of these men. And, and the question has to be asked, how does one do that? You know, you're, it doesn't happen every day that uh, God comes to visit. But it seems that uh, Abraham finds it uh, more important to take care of the guests than entertaining God who's there to visit him. And so, this really speaks to the nature of Abraham, of who Abraham was. Uh, our sages tell us in the Talmud that Abraham teaches us from this, that great is the mitzvah, the good deed of hospitality. It is greater than greeting the Shechina, than greeting God. And Abraham is the one who teaches us that because He's greeting God, but there's something more important that has to be taken care of, uh, and that is the uh, taking care of another human being who is in need. So some, hearing your explanation, um, which is a very traditional explanation, that the uh, mitzvah, the uh, the divine commandment to care for others, Uh, some hearing that would say that our 
relationship to uh, other people. Uh, the mitzvot ben adam adam, the commandments between human beings are more important than the commandments between uh, human beings and God. Ben adam the Hashem. Um, do you think that's a traditional interpretation, or does somehow the Torah want to ensure that we know that both are important? I think that um, I think the Torah wants us to know that they're both important. That you know, in in uh, in Jewish tradition, as you said, um, our commandments are divided between. Uh, you know, obligations that we have, ben adam la chavero, between man and his fellow, and some others, ben adam la makom, between man and God. Um, however, here I think that what I wish to focus on is about Abraham. Because when you talk about caring for the other, or loving the other, or doing kindness for the others, um, there are generally two types of people. You have the people who are very generous and very kind, but it may come from a selfish place. It's really that they love themselves and therefore uh, uh, are doing certain acts of kindness. Um, however, Abraham, the example of what is real chesed, what is real kindness that Abraham teaches us is that when one is ready to put oneself aside, to even sacrifice oneself in order to do a favor for another, then you know that this is real kindness. And in the case of Abraham, he's really sacrificing an audience with God right now in order to help another. And and I think that's a um, that's a very important lesson. I'm I'm not so much trying to focus on whether the commandments between man and his fellow. I'm really focusing on what is the lesson that we as descendants of Abraham could take from this story uh, and the example that he, that he shows. It's interesting that you chose to go in that direction because in Genesis 12, when we first meet Abraham, we have very little knowledge of who this person is. And we have very little uh, clarity from the text as to why Abraham and God enter into this relationship. But what you're uh, suggesting is that in our Torah portion, the character of Abraham is revealed. And one could even read backwards and say that um, it becomes unimportant why Abraham was chosen in Genesis, you would bet, 12? Because as we move forward, we will discover who this person is and why he uh, deserves the mantle of ancestor, of the uh, progenitor of the Israelite people. Um, would you say that his interaction with God um, in trying to save the people of Sodom and Gomorrah um, is another example of how Abraham uh, places individuals uh, before a divine interaction. Precisely. And, and, and uh, it's interesting, you know, when I look at this Persia, here is another vignette 
that the Torah gives us about the type of, of person and how Abraham really embodied uh, what kindness is supposed to be and what care is supposed to be, where when he hears that God is about to destroy the, the city of Sodom, he turns to God and says, why would you do that? He argues. And he says, there's actually one of the verses where he says, I am dust, I am nothing, I'm ashes. In other words, one interpretation is that he was saying, because of what I'm doing now, I may be turned into dust and to ashes. Um, but that was more important for him. And, you know, you, you, you talking about looking back, I'm going to take you back to the story of Noah. When we read the story of Noah, and Noah is told that God is going to flood the world, destroy the world, but he should build an ark for him and his family. Noah says, okay, and gets uh, starts to build the ark, as opposed to turning to God and arguing as Abraham does. So here I think we, we are seeing another dimension in the relationship that exists between uh, God and man, where God allows man to interact, to question, to pray, to demand. Um, that and, and that came specifically in terms of Abraham's demanding. It came from his care and his genuine love and care for another individual. So you're painting the picture of this um, truly worthy individual who cares for others, um, who is willing to um, ask God to uh, move aside so that he can offer hospitality, and who's willing to challenge God's decision to uh, destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you so eloquently reminded the listeners that Noah did not do that, that Noah just uh, narcissistically built an ark. So we have this portrait of Abraham, and then the Torah portion um, gives us two vignettes in which Abraham seems to act in um, a very different manner. Um, the first episode is when, um, again, he tells a foreign king that Sarah is not his wife um, and allows the king to take uh, Sarah uh, and what appears to be for the benefit of Abraham. Um, and then at the end of the portion, where Abraham, um, at least as the Torah tells us, unquestioningly, unquestioningly takes his son to Mount Moriah. So four stories, they seem to be in juxtaposition to each other. Are they, or is there a reading that would help us better understand them as a continuation um, of who Abraham is? Yes. So actually, it's, it's a perfect continuation of who Abraham was. Um, so this time I'm going to begin with the last story. I'm going to begin with the story of the Akedah 
the story of when Abraham is commanded to go and sacrifice his son. So for our listeners, if you are, um, if you have a text, uh, a Bible in front of you, it wouldn't matter whether it was a Hebrew text or a Hebrew English text or one of the numerous uh, other translations. We're speaking of the story that begins in Genesis 22, that begins with the words, and God tested Abraham. Um, and it's known in Hebrew as the Akedah, the binding of Abraham. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to get our listeners on uh, in the right spot. That is great. And in fact, it's a great segue because you quoted the verse that God tested Abraham. And uh, the story of the Akedah is actually a test. It's a test and it's clearly described as such. Because Abraham was the epitome of kindness and care, and you would probably say about him that he couldn't hurt a fly, uh, God is testing him now by doing something that is totally against his nature, totally illogical, because God had told him that this son Isaac is going to be the father of this nation. And uh, Isaac at that time was 37 and wasn't married yet. Um, and here he's asked to go and sacrifice. And the, so that, that is a perfect continuation because it comes to show us that together with the character that Abraham had as a person, his devotion to God was unconditional. And when God gives him a direct command that I want you to do this now, which also requires a sacrifice for him because he's sacrificing. You see, there are different people who, who you could say, different people who serve God with different characteristics. Um, somebody who's generous, that's their way to serve God. Somebody who's less generous, but they're very organized. They may use their this type of characteristic to uh, to serve God. In order for Abraham to show his devotion to God, God is testing him, testing the very character who he is to see if he's ready to put that aside. And, and that's why it's a perfect continuation. Whereas in the beginning, God puts God aside in order to express his generosity here, God is commanding him to see whether he would put his generosity aside in order to express his dedication to a direct command that God gives him. When you teach this story and you focus, as you just have, on the introductory sentence of testing, do you teach it that God knew what the end result would be? And that the test was never in doubt? You know, that's the age-old question. That if God knows what's going to happen, do I really have a choice? You know, and, and, and the answer to that is, um, God is beyond time. God created time. Um, but God enters into a relationship with us and wants us to play wants us to discover, wants us to discover the choice is still ours. It happens to be because God is beyond time. Yes, he knows what the outcome is going to be. 
but the story still has to play out. It's as if you would say, take a book and uh, you read the last page. So you know what the outcome is going to be, but the outcome only came because of the entire story developed. Uh, so the choice is still ours and the test is still a real test. So it's a real test and Abraham um, affirms his relationship to God in that test, but it appears to, uh, what would be the word that would make sense, to certainly break his relationship with Isaac. Um, when they walk up the mountain, the, Isaac asks many questions of his father. When they walk down the mountain, Isaac is silent. So is part of the test asking um, Abraham to choose between God and um, his son? Now, eventually, Abraham uh, gets his son in a subsequent Torah portion, uh, a wife. So it's not as if they have no relationship. Uh, but are we to read something into this that Abraham, the man who has chosen the visitors, the man who has chosen Sodom and Gomorrah, when uh, push comes to shove, chooses God even to the uh, consequence of uh, weakening his relationship with his uh, son, his descendant? Traditionally, it's never looked that way. I mean, traditionally, it's it's always looked that there was no break or weakening in the relationship with the son. As as you said, I mean, we see in the next few parshas that this is his occupation. Uh, in the beginning of next week's parsha, when Sarah dies, which actually, according to the midrash, she dies on the day when the akeda was happens. Um, he devotes himself totally to settling Isaac. And not only that, but when he sends Eliezer, the servant, to find a wife for Isaac, he gives Eliezer carte blanche that he's signing over his estate to his son. And so his son is coming with a good dowry. And so, uh, you know, traditionally it's not looked as uh, that event had any weakening in the relationship. I don't know how much time we have because I do want to address the other story. Good. I was going to ask you to do that um, because you, you, when I asked about those two stories, you said, well, let's start at the end. And I want to come back to the story of Abimelech, which is, of course, um, appears on the surface to be a um, retelling of the story of Avram and Sarai and the Egyptian king. Correct. So, there is there are a lot of interpretations into um it's for sure that abraham abraham was not a selfish individual if we put that particular vignette within the context it doesn't make sense and and because of that there must be something deeper that is at play so i'll share with you a very nice interpretation uh into what is abraham asking sarah that she should say and it's interesting He's, he doesn't say, I'll say that I'm your brother. He says, please say that you're my sister. As if it's something that it's on her to do. Our mystics explain to us that in a relationship, 
there are two love there are two types of relationships. You have a relationship of siblings, which is a essential, intrinsic relationship that could never be severe. And then you have a relationship of husband and wife, which is a created relationship. It's two separate entities that have decided to become one. Because of that, there's more passion in that relationship. There's, but the risk of that relationship, because we're not one at the core, it could be separated as well. When Abraham comes to a situation where he sees that Sarah is going to be taken away because that is the culture of the place that he's coming to, he says to Sarah, say that you're my sister. Remember that our relationship is deeper than just two separate individuals who have gotten married and have made a life together. There is a deep bond between ourselves as a brother and a sister. And regardless of what happens to you and what happens to me, I want you to remember always that our bond is much deeper and, and, and don't give that up. And, and here again, you know, the, the stories are not just stories, but there are lessons for us. And I think this is another vignette where we see that Abraham's relationship in this case with his spouse um, was a relationship that was very deep. It's not a relationship that was just, you know, in a marriage, a relationship grows, uh, to the point where the two feel like, uh, two halves of one whole. And when he says, please say that you're my sister, don't forget that we are one, we are intrinsically connected. It sounds like a wonderful wedding sermon. Oh, yes. I have a sense that you, I have a sense that you've used it before. It, uh, it's actually King Solomon in his book of Song of Songs has a verse where he speaks about the relationship between groom and bride, where, he's, where the groom speaks to the bride and wants her to open up for him. And she says, Open up for me, my sister, my bride. So is she the sister or is she the bride? She can't be both. But that's the deeper meaning of that verse. That, that is absolutely wonderful. Um, and for our listeners, um, you've just heard um, some wonderful homiletics from both the ancient tradition of the rabbis and from what in uh, the Jewish world we call mysticism, a uh, deeper beneath the surface uh, attempt to see the truth that exists within the written word. Uh, often we read the Torah and some of our guests read it uh, in what's called the Peshat, the simple on the surface level. But studying Torah in the Jewish tradition is about studying both the surface level and the greater, deeper level of what's there. My guest this morning has been Rabbi uh, Mendel Bloom of the Ottawa Torah Center. I want to thank him for sharing with us this morning some wonderful insights into Avraham Avinu, Avraham the Patriarch of the Jewish people, for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a podcast of our show on the website chri.ca 
or on iTunes or a virtual visual experience on YouTube. Shalom and have a good day. Thank you.